listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast where people with all abilities and challenges can stand out from the rest, even if they've got to sit down to do it. I'm Ben and Dykstra, the Rolling Dragon, and it's time for this show to take flight. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast that gives people with all abilities and challenges a chance to stand out from the rest, even if you have to sit down to do it. I am sitting with a very unique and special guest this afternoon. She is a survivor of stage four lung cancer, the inventor of National Mocktail Week, and overall, a wonderful human being. Please welcome Marnie Clark. Marnie, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me today. I really am excited to talk with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on here. And I especially wanted to have you on as November, by the time this episode comes out, will be Lung Cancer Awareness Month. So I thought it was really important to bring up that kind of an issue, especially given your circumstances of acquiring lung cancer, because Uh, Other than your relationship with alcohol, you seem to be like a relatively healthy person. And then to uh, listen to a a previous interview that you had done, all it took to get lung cancer for you was, I have lungs. That's correct. (laughs) And sadly true for many people with lung cancer. Um, It's uh, lung cancer is very stigmatized because um, you probably thought, and I know I did, that you have to be a smoker to get lung cancer. And that is just not the case anymore. Um, I was very healthy. I was probably the healthiest I'd been in my entire life. I was 54 years old and had been working out with a personal trainer for two years. I had cleaned up my diet. Um, I just worked really hard at trying to get myself strong and healthy. So getting a lung cancer diagnosis was shocking. Um, I had a cough for a while probably a year, I'd say. Um, And it was intermittent, I would attribute it to, you know, different food intolerances. Um, My dad had a cough for 20 years that they could never really diagnose. So it was kind of a joke, like I just inherited my dad's cough. So I never really um, followed up on that. And that was my, that was my fault. Um, I should have pursued that a little further. Um, but what ultimately got me to my diagnosis was just randomly one day, um, the right, my right leg and my right foot started to, um, be paralyzed. Um, and then it worked on my way up into my arm and it took about a month to actually get the diagnosis through a variety of scans. Um, but what they found was I had lung cancer that had metastasized to my brain, which was what was causing the paralysis. Right. So it was quite shocking. Right. And then you had to have immediate, pretty much, surgery to remove basically the tumors that were pressing on that particular part of your brain. Right. I had a diagnosis on, I think they actually gave me my official diagnosis like on a Friday. And by Friday afternoon, I was in the hospital. And then on Tuesday, I had brain surgery to try and remove the brain tumor. I can only imagine what was going through your mind during that process to go from, wait a minute, I may have just inherited my dad's cough as a family kind of a joke, (laughs) and then I've lived such a successful life, and then bam, this could happen. I have to have major brain surgery, and I would have to say that anyone who has to go through brain surgery is 
both very fortunate and slightly unfortunate because that is a major operation that could lead to uh, permanent effects, even though they were able to successfully remove your cancerous tumors. And also, it's very fortunate because there are certain areas of the brain that doctors just can't operate in. Correct. And um, just just to be clear, um, so I had one ma massive tumor that was pressing on my motor complex, which was causing the paralysis. Um, they were not able to remove that because it was attached. They, would, they were worried it would cause further paralysis, further damage. But it was a cystic tumor, so it was full of fluid, and they were able to drain it. Um, and then I had 15 other small lesions throughout my brain. Um, the medication that I'm currently on has taken care of all of those. Those have disappeared. And to date, the large tumor has not come back. So feeling very fortunate there. <laughs> I can only imagine. I'm very happy that that tumor has not returned. So Me too. Um, you have gone through a lot doing this, having to endure the surgery and then the recovery from the surgery, having to take this medication to make sure that the tumors have stayed away. But through all of that, what would you say has been the most difficult part of it? Because there's the obvious physical aspect of surgical recovery, being mm -hmm. told, okay, you need to take this medication now to eliminate or suppress the tumors that are already there. but right just the realization of this major life change for you and your family and how you're going to have to change your life. And here you are now a successful blogger and a motivator for anyone else who has cancer. What would you say was the most difficult part to get from your initial diagnosis to where you are today? Um, probably mindset and dealing with the, the mental aspect of it, the anxiety. Um, it all happened so fast that I feel like I didn't really have time to process really what was happening. So, um, there was a lot of fear at the outset, um, just not knowing, I mean, we didn't really even have anybody in our family that had cancer ever. So I really had zero experience with this. And you hear those words, cancer or that word, and you automatically, you know, fear the worst. Um, so I, I don't feel like I really had a lot of time to process until I got home from the hospital and was in recovery. Uh, um, and it was, the mindset was hard. It was a lot of, you know, wondering what my future looks like, wondering what my family's future looks like. Um, and it was, it always came at hard, at, at good moments. Like I'd be having a, a great time with my kids. I have three grown kids or my husband, you know, we'd, um, be having a family dinner. And then I, you know, those thoughts would creep in like, you know, how many more dinners am I going to get to have with my family, you know, stuff like that. So it just really took a lot of work, um, trying to get to the other side of that, not to say that I don't have anxiety or fears today, because, you know, obviously some days are better than others. Um, but the, the best thing that came from the diagnosis was that, I feel like I have a new perspective on life and that I, I cherish those moments so much more than I ever would have prior to the diagnosis. Um, I've been very fortunate that, you know, I was able to retire. Um, my husband and I have our own business and I was able to retire once when I got the diagnosis. And so I've been able to reduce my stress levels and just really focus on the things that are important to me, like my family and friends and taking care of myself. Right. 
Uh, was that the main reason you decided to retire? Because you had a pretty successful construction company. We do. We've been in business for over 30 years, and it's a very successful company in our community. And um, my husband and I built it together. And I had wanted, I was getting ready kind of to retire anyway. I had brought um, someone into the office. I handled all the administration and finance and kind of office duties. And I had brought somebody in to to um, kind of fill that role. And she's doing a great job and um, stepped in when I had my surgery. And I just, it was, it was the right time um, mentally. And I just, I was ready. But yes, the diagnosis is what was kind of the deciding factor. I, I can imagine it was like, you know, I'm contemplating retirement. And then the cancer diagnosis kind of forced that choice on you versus, oh, you have all this time to contemplate. Do I retire? Or do I not? Right. And I feel very privileged. I know that, you know, if I was still having to go to work and earn a living and, you know, feed small children or deal with babies and little kids, this would be a much different story and so much harder. So um, I'm I'm grateful that it happened the way it did and when it did. And I have a great support network around me. So um, retirement has been its own blessing and also challenge itself too. Right. Because I think when anyone retires after a long career doing anything, sure, you hear all these great stories of what you could do when you retire, but it takes a while to kind of figure that out because you have to recover from your cancer diagnosis at the same time. But then you, you're like, you know what? I can't be at home doing nothing. And I can't be right. at home worrying about what could happen with my diagnosis because exactly. that's not good for your mindset. So exactly. that's why you decided to start blogging. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you are exactly right. Uh, retirement sounds wonderful when you're in the middle of working, but it is a, a different mindset. You um, spend so many years doing the hustle and grind and so it feels really strange to not have to do that. It just takes some adjusting. Um, but I felt really called to use my journey and my story to bring some awareness to lung cancer for one thing, um, and to maybe give people a little hope that are in the throes of um, their own trauma, their own diagnosis. Um, to try and maybe help get people to the other side of the mindset piece of it. Um, because I really feel like that's such a hard, hard task. Um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to use my voice to, um, help educate and bring awareness to, to lung cancer. That's a wonderful thing because unfortunately, even though you can go to a doctor for all the information you want, in fact, I was just, uh, interviewing a doctor who specializes in cancer care yesterday. However, there's so many uh, misinformation posts out there, people going online and saying, look, here's my experience. And one person's experience is not scientifically guaranteed for anybody. Exactly. And, um, you know, I, I have people in my community that have the same cancer as I do, takes the same medication, but our stories are very different. And um, outcomes may be different. It's just, it's a different experience for everybody. So I'm happy to share my journey and my story, but there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do this. I just want people to kind of understand what the process is like and, um, and understand, um, how to take care of themselves. I guess one of the, one of my big 
soapbox topics is, um, you know, I was in such good physical and mental shape when I got the diagnosis. And every single doctor and physical therapist, um, nutritionist, everybody I talked to during my my surgery and recovery said the reason I recovered so well was because I was strong and healthy going into it. And so I just want people, I want to encourage people to get themselves to a point where they feel as healthy as they can be or as strong as they can be, because inevitably, um, you know, there's going to be something that happens in life because we're, none of us are going to get out of here unscathed. Mm -hmm. So, um, why not be on your A game? (laughs) Right. That way you come out on the other side stronger when something bad does happen. Exactly. That, that that's also a good life insurance ad right there. <laughs> Prepare now so that you're ready for later. Right. It's kind of a downer, but it's a, uh, sadly it's true. Whether you break a leg one day or your kid breaks a leg or, you know, whatever happens, there's going to be at some point in time when you're going to need to be strong and healthy. So why not prepare now? JobQuest doesn't just help people who are facing employment barriers find a job. They help them keep a job. From basic life skills development to employment preparation, JobQuest provides coaching, on-the-job training, and follow-up support. If you or someone you know is experiencing employment barriers, including mental health challenges, an intellectual or physical disability, check out JobQuest, a division of Community Living Trent Highlands. Find out more at clth.ca today. Hey, my fellow standouts, it's the Rolling Dragon, Ben and Dykstra, here to ask you a couple of questions as we've reached the halfway point in our program. Has life thrown you a curveball? Have you lived with what many people would consider unfortunate circumstances or unique challenges? How have you turned them around into something positive for yourself and for others? Is it your time to stand out from the rest? Well then, register as a guest at www.rollingdragonmedia.com and get ready to stand out from the rest. And now, for the rest of our story. Right. Now, I want to take just a brief break from talking about your cancer diagnosis for a second because I was looking up information on you And I found that your interest in creating mocktails was quite interesting after realizing that you needed to adjust your relationship with alcohol and you've been sober for 20 years now. But I have to ask, what makes a great mocktail? Because anyone can go to a bar, look at a cocktail and say, I would like, say, for example, you order a rum and coke. But instead, you just have the Coke. Right. So what makes a great mocktail versus just ordering a rum and Coke without the rum? Well, I mean, it's all flavor preference, right? Um, I I love a good combination of flavors. It's real easy to um, throw in some ginger beer and some juice and call it a mocktail. Um, but there are so many non-alcoholic products out now that you can get yourself an alcohol-free gin, alcohol-free tequila, um, and then spirits that are kind of not, they're alcohol-free, but they're they're not really a copy of a gin or tequila. They're just kind of their own making and their own, um, their own design and flavor. Those are wonderful just to add to some tonic like you would with a gin and tonic. But if you're going to a, a restaurant or bar, um, 
Gosh, what makes a good mocktail? I, I really think it's just flavor preferences. I always enjoyed things that were less on the sweet side. So, and, you know, vegetables are great. Cucumbers, um, those are a great, great way to add flavor. Um, and then your, your mixer, your tonics, they have flavored tonics now that can really um, dress up a mocktail. I just, I never really liked the sweet stuff. And I felt like early on, that was a lot of juices and syrups and sugars. And I don't, I don't know that anybody loves those. <laughs> right. And they had O'Doul's. Yes. And now there's so many really great alcohol-free beers. Um, Athletic Brewing makes a really amazing beer that my family loves. Corona even came out with an alcohol-free beer that my family loves too. I'm not a beer drinker, so I'm relying on my my kids and my husband to tell me which ones are the good ones. But there's a lot of choices. And you see a lot of the restaurants are carrying them now. I see Heineken Zero at, at a lot of bars and restaurants. Oh, yeah. I always go to my own parents for cocktail advice just because I've never really acquired the taste for alcohol anyway. <laughs> my frustration was early on when I started National Mocktail Week and when I started making mocktails, there weren't any of these products out there. And so literally we're trying to make mocktails with fruit and vegetables and, you know, all different kinds of things you would find in your kitchen, which was really fun and great. Um, but my frustration was there just weren't any options. Like if I went to a bar or restaurant, there just weren't, I'm not a soda drinker. So that was just never really an option for me. Um, so it's really fun to see how far it's come just in a few short years. Yeah. It is amazing how quickly things can evolve yeah. from, Oh, there's nothing there to, Oh, look at all these options. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite mocktail that you have? that you enjoy drinking? Um, actually not anymore. <laughs> I love a spicy, um, orange margarita. That was probably my favorite or, or sorry, grapefruit margarita. That was probably my favorite mocktail. Um, and I still enjoy that. I just can't, I can't do the bubbles anymore. So it's hard to have a mocktail without some kind of tonic or, you know, bubbly water. So I just, I haven't had any in a long time. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. My dad likes uh, those Caesars that you can get, like for the Mott's Clamato Caesar, but without the alcohol. Oh, yeah. I love a good Clamato. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to your cancer treatment, uh, you went through, you got the operation to remove the tumors. I correct me if I'm wrong, but this was also during the COVID-19 pandemic when everybody was pretty much uh, stuck inside like 2021. But how did you get through this difficult time? Because there's so much going on. I was kind of at the tail end of it. So I was, my diagnosis came in late October of 2021. So the challenge was when I was in the hospital, um, I'm in Seattle. We have a wonderful can cancer facility and research facility here. Um, I could only have one visitor when I was there. Um, so that was challenging. I was there for a week and I, I didn't get to see the kids um, except one time. So those were hard. Um, coming home was hard because, you know, people want to come visit and come see you. And um, I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, I It was frustrating, but I feel like what I went through was fairly easy compared to early on in the pandemic. You know, there was horror stories of being in the hospital and 
trying to get care. And I didn't experience any of that. I was very fortunate. Right. Because we all have to remember, even though it wasn't that long ago, when people were getting COVID-19, you were either going in there to get emergency care, or if you went in there, there was an odds or there was a chance that you would come out with something. That's right. Yeah. And I feel like since I was in the ICU, I was probably better protected than maybe in the general area of the hospital or ER, you know? Well, that, and we also have to remember, you probably couldn't have visitors because due to lung cancer, they wouldn't want anyone coming in and then breathing in the same air and then passing a pathogen on. Right. And that was hard coming home too. Um, I had to kind of get over that where I didn't want to be in big groups with my family or go to events or even go to the grocery store. That was kind of scary for me. Um, because the last thing I wanted was to have one, my one good lung compromised. Um, but at some point I got to live my life and, um, it, I wasn't doing that sitting in my house by myself. So I, I kind of had to just get over that mindset. So I do what I can to protect myself now, but I, I can't worry too much about that. Right, because you never know. That's right. But but speaking of not knowing, I was listening to your interview on Asking for a Friend, that uh, podcast, and I was, you said that uh, you went to your doctor after you were taking medication and a lot of the tumors went away. Yeah. Because uh, the medication that you take basically turns off the cells in your lungs that are cancerous. Yeah. However, when the doctor asked, do you want to know what your situation is? You said no. And I can appreciate the idea of, look, if it's bad or good, I'm going to live my life to the fullest, mm-hmm. regardless of the situation. But why exactly did you not want to know what the status is now of your health? That's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, I can remember that moment so clearly sitting in my doctor's office Um and him asking me that question. And I said, no, without any hesitation. And I think part of it was fear of what he would say. Um, I had already done all the Googling. (laughs) So I kind of had a general idea of what the official prognosis would be, but I can't look at those numbers. I, because they're just numbers, they're not me. Um, and also the medication that I'm on is fairly new. I think it's only been approved by uh, for probably six or seven years. So they don't have a whole lot of official data on it yet. So I can't, um, I I can't really follow those numbers yet. So I belong to some Facebook groups, um, that are people who have the same cancer and mutation that I have and take the same medication. And there's been people on it for 15 years. So I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Okay. Now, The only reason that I would think that I would want to know would be is if am I ever going to be able to get off of this medication in the sense of, look, am I not going to need it anymore? Because cancers can go away, Mm -hmm. but they can also come back. So the way my cancer works is I will be on this medication for as long as it's working. So it could be the rest of my life. It could be the next six months. I don't, I don't know when that will be. Um, I will never be off of this medication. So it's called a, it's a targeted therapy. So it's different than chemo. 
Um, it takes the mutation of my cancer, um, and it basically, like you said, turns those cells off. Um, unfortunately, in some cases, the cancer finds its way around that medication and figures, figures out how to get around it. That hasn't happened to me yet. Um, but my scans are still clean. I don't have any, I, I, I will never be, I don't think I will ever be cancer free um, because those cells will just continue to exist. They're part of me. Um, they, they may or may not come back. I don't know. But um, after I've, I've been stable for the last year, um, and I think you you get to five years of clean scans, and I think maybe they say you're in remission. I'm not sure. There's specific criteria that goes along with the language they use. So I just am happy to say I'm stable now. Well, I'm happy to hear that as well. And I don't blame you in one way for not wanting to know, because number one, it would be scary regardless of whether yeah. the answer was good or bad. And at the same time, it's like, I couldn't understand probably half of what a doctor would say <laughs> just because it's such a new advanced medication and they yeah. use so much scientific language. I would be so confused. Yes. Well, and that happens when you're Googling, Googling too. <laughs> but the thing with lung cancer is, um, you know, it kills more people than the top three cancers combined, breast, prostate, and colorectal cancer. So I don't think people realize um, how serious and how common it is. Um, and the, the unfortunate part about lung cancer is that when it's discovered, it's usually stage four because you either don't have symptoms or the symptoms you have are easily explained, you know, like a cough, say, you know, could be chalked up to asthma or allergies. So usually when you get your lung cancer diagnosis, you're already stage four. And, um, you know, that doesn't really usually very often have a great outcome. So, um, right. Yeah. Cancer is both like, um, both terrible and fascinating at the same time, because it's terrible what it does to people. But to me, it's fascinating to think that, okay, I have no symptoms one day, or I already recovered from cancer once, mm -hmm. but then poof, you don't feel, or you don't feel well one of these days. And then it finds out, oh, the cancer just went around that other body part, or it resurfaced in a different body part. Cause uh, that kind of reminds me of what happened to Terry Fox. Cause at first it uh, surfaced in his knee and then that went in remission and then it went to his lung. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the way cancer works, unfortunately. Right. But you are still trying to inspire people and motivate others to try to come out happier, healthier. And that's absolutely incredible on uh, your blog, uh, uh, Good Things, Good People. Now, uh, can you go into a little bit more detail as to how you're trying to raise awareness with your blog post? Sure. Um, well, I, I think through social media and blogging, I'm just trying to share a little bit of my journey. Um, and I understand that cancer does not have a good outcome for many, many people. Um, I feel very fortunate that I, um, that I am in the situation that I'm in. Um, I'm relatively healthy despite the cancer. Um, but you know, uh, if I could give cancer back, I always say I totally would. I don't want it. <laughs> but there have been some really great things that have come from it. Um, some blessings that I don't think I would have received otherwise. Um, and so I'm, I just want to encourage people to 
um, try and have a, a little bit different mindset um, and understand that sometimes there's better on the other side of this. Um, you know, I, like I said, I was able to retire, but I get to spend time with my husband and my, my kids. Um, my mom lives nearby. I get to now spend more time with her. Um, I'm just so fortunate and grateful to be able to prioritize the people in my life now. Um, cause while I thought I did before, I, I think I was lacking in that area. Um, and to be able to, um, understand life's gifts in the smallest form, whether that's just being able to have a quiet cup of coffee in the morning or to go for a walk with a friend. I, I just feel like when, you know, when it really comes down to it, it's these small moments in life that add up to, um, the meaning. Wow. I don't think, I don't think we're going to get any more emotional than that. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that you would say that's your greatest takeaway from the whole experience. Yes, for sure. I, I think this new mindset, I feel so fortunate to be given an opportunity to look at life a little bit differently. Well, I am so glad that you've come to that mindset, even though I, I think we all wish it was under a bit of a different circumstance. But I do think that having a condition like cancer, and it all depends how you choose to look at it. You can choose to have that negative mindset, or you can choose to have a positive mindset all you want. But I think having uh, going through a situation like cancer is guaranteed to bring you closer to everyone because you may have a limited time left, or you may just use the time you have to make wonderful memories. And that's, right. that's really what life is about. That's right. Um, in the end, it's about the people. And so I'm trying really hard to prioritize the people in my life. And um, that's really been such a blessing for me. Well, Marnie Clark, I think it's been a blessing to have you on our podcast. So to wrap things up, where can people reach out to you if they want to check out your blog, Good Things, Good People, or if they just want to ask you a question regarding their own situation? Sure. I'm on uh, mostly on Instagram at Marnie Ray C. Um, and then my blog is just MarnieRay.com. All right. We will have links to those in our show notes below. Do you have any final thoughts before we conclude this? Oh, gosh, Ben. <laughs> I don't. I'm just so appreciative that you gave me the opportunity to chat with you today. Just um, there's so much great research and development going into all cancers, but specifically lung cancer. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to share some of this information. Well, on that note, we're going to give it a cheers to Marnie Clark for being such a great guest on this week's episode of the Sit Down Standout Show. I am the Rolling Dragon, Ben and Dykstra, and until next time, keep calm and roll on. <laughs>